Hey everybody, it's Megan. Cam and I wanted to have a little warning at the front end of this episode of the podcast. Uh, we are discussing Earshot, and if it's been a while since you've seen this episode, Earshot deals with some hard topics, including school shootings and suicide. And so we wanted to just make sure that everybody knew this going into this episode. And if you feel if this episode is going to be at all triggering for you, we highly, highly encourage you to skip it. Please do what's best for your journey, and we love you so much. Welcome to Flunking the Written, a fully spoiled Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast in which two uber fans break down every episode of the show. Join Kimberly and Megan every other Tuesday as they overanalyze each scene and discuss the Buffyverse at large. Now let's meet up with the Scoobies and get into this episode of Flunking the Written. What can I say? I flunked the written. All right, Kim, we are about to start our conversation on Earshot, which was written by Jane Espenson and directed by Regis B. Kimball. And the DVD blurb is, After slaying a telepathic demon, Buffy is bombarded with the thoughts of everyone around her, including one student who appears to be planning mass murder. So I heard a rumor that you like this episode. I do. This is one of my favorites. <laughs> I took almost no notes on this episode because I didn't have time to write a novel on this episode. That's kind of the way I approach notes for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I didn't have enough time to write down all of the thoughts I had. So I just I hope I remember like half of them. And then we got a podcast. Okay, so it starts out in the park at night and Buffy is running from a demon. She falls and um, the demon walks up to her and then she rolls and knocks the demon down and they fight. There's a second demon, and uh, Buffy fights both of them. They throw knives a little bit, and then Buffy stabs one of the demons. And as she stabs it, her hand gets something, some kind of ooey goo from the demon on her. On her. Well, that, um, that ooey gooey demon goo. Mm. Yes. Uh, she doesn't see it, and it glows and then disappears. Mm-hmm. As, the other, as the other demon makes haste and runs away. Yes. And then in the next scene, Buffy and Willow are going into the library. Uh, Willow's talking to her and said, so Scabby Deben got away. And Buffy's like, yeah, there's one of them got away. And they talk about how the demons had no mouth. And then they have a little scene where uh, Giles uh, talks about how he has eliminated possibilities of what is going to happen at the mayor's ascension. And then kind of finishes with, I don't know what's going to happen. And Oz says that it was kind of anticlimactic. And then they talk about how Angel's pretending brought face treachery into the open. And Wesley comes in, who says the very same thing as Giles, trying to say they know what the mayor's ascension is not going to be. And everybody just gets up and walked out, walks out. Mm-hmm. It's it's beautiful. And I love, again, yeah, it is. I always love just the little back and forth that we have between Giles and Wesley. Like, I'm really sad that we didn't get a, a Giles and Wesley scene later in the series. Like, when, when they both uh, developed more. But, like, these little back and forths I just cherish of just them kind of, like, 
getting under each other's skin in just the best ways possible. So they're all in the hallway, and Willow asks if he, she, Buffy has seen Angel lately, and Buffy comments that she hasn't, and they have a little conversation about that and whether or not Angel is into faith because... You know, it looks like he was. <laughs> and Willow advises her to ask. And Buffy decides that um, he wouldn't tell her anyway. And during all of this, she's kind of like absentmindedly playing with the back of her hand mm-hmm. and scratching it and stuff. Yeah. Um, something's going on I, with that hand. There's something something suspicious. Then we get like random student. Hogan, right? Everybody knows Hogan. Hogan Martin. Percy. Yeah. Hogan Martin. Big deal. And we get Percy again. And like this is this is the start of them realizing, oh crap, we have this concept of having all of these students fight this this force on graduation day. Let's just shove as many students in as possible. Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so like there are so many students, and it works well because there's a lot of like you know possibilities for who did Buffy hear and all of that, and so there's a lot of twists and turns that could be possible throughout this episode. But I also just like. I enjoy this episode because of just how much attention is on just, like, the high school itself. And, like, it's coming to a close, right? The high school years are coming to a close. So this is one of the the few last hurrahs that we get of the high school years. And I forget about, like, how how high school this feels. Like, you got all of the students. You got, like, pep rallies. You got the school paper. You've got, like, all of these things that you don't really get in your average episode of Buffy because it's usually focusing on the 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 bigger bads or the the slaying specifically um but this one is just like hey here's a bunch of high school stuff enjoy you're only gonna get it for so many more episodes (laughs) and then it's over yeah yeah but yeah hogan he's a big deal xander has uh some sarcastic comments to make about you know how everybody thinks he's so great and everything and then uh he calls out xander's name and he's just like oh my god he knows my name very xander like and then we have this cute little exchange between percy and willow which i love (laughs) i mean later percy's a jerk but uh, like before percy was a jerk but in this moment i kind of like percy i'm kind of team percy this is the the non-jerk percy Mm -hmm. it's like a sandwich you've got like a decent percy sandwiched into jerk percy's (laughs) percy sandwich But yeah, he's apparently still working hard trying to improve his grades and and him and Willow have bonded quite a bit and the plan is for like the gang to go and watch uh the the basketball game, the 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 sports ball game and mm-hmm. uh they're all kind of getting into it and uh Buffy's feeling left out cuz she didn't know that this was something that they were doing and she's going to have to go on patrol and she won't be able to do it. Um yeah. and and as as you know it, it kind of everybody disperses she continues to idly scratch her hand and then realize oh wait something, something might wrong. be wrong <laughs> yeah so she goes back to giles in the library and uh explains to him after he says that you touch one of the demons she explains that it was a good touch not a bad touch. <laughs> and uh giles finds some demons in a book they always find the demons so quickly yeah in all those books Although I guess no mouth demon is kind of a... <laughs> you just go to the no mouth demon book and flip through it until you find the picture yeah. of the one you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, he shows Buffy a picture and she says, yep, that's him. And Giles says that that the book claims they can infect a host with an aspect of the demon. Mm-hmm. So then Buffy is like, I'm going to get a part of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And Giles is like, well, let's minimize your exposure. You know, don't go after the other one. <laughs> and Buffy decides she really hopes it is not an outside part of the demon. Yeah. <laughs> I had a whole bit about how this episode is demonist. <laughs> Because she, like, says, oh, he's in the disgusting flesh, and she's all worried about getting tail or scales or yeah. anything like that. I'm just like, this is just demonist. <laughs> very, very demonist. <laughs> but, yeah, but Buffy is apparently going to get some kind of aspect of the demon, which is, like, a line that's just dropped in, and then everybody just understands what it means. <laughs> like, later, well, I mean, later on, kinda... Angel's just like, oh, that old aspect of the demon. Oh, man. We've dealt with that <laughs> so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like i'm just like if that's such a common thing are are there like just a ton of people out there that have like weird inherited abilities through contact with demons that we just don't know about is that how like invisible girl became invisible they just said it was hellmouth magic but maybe she like went and shook Got hands an with a demon. The demon yeah she shook hands with a demon and then became invisible who knows is that what all of like the uh, FBI agents were gathering? Were were people that came into contact? They have like just facilities full of people who have inherited aspects of demons. Mm-hmm. I want to watch that show. <laughs> <laughs> but they all got uh, invisibility apparently. And that classroom that was the specific for cla- like invisibility aspects. The the telepathy aspects were in the next room, and then beyond that was like the uh, flying aspects and the walk through walls aspect. You know. You know, yeah, you got to break it up into groups. <laughs> All right. Um, where are we? <laughs> so we're at the pep rally. Look, high school. You know how how great all this high school stuff is? But sure be sad if this would all blow up soon. Um, <laughs> yeah, my school had like one pep rally a year. And all the classes were escorted to the pep rally. To like the bleachers <laughs> to sit there. It wasn't a wander around and do your own thing type situation. Yeah. Like this seems to be. Well, this is like, it's just like, normally, wouldn't that be, wouldn't the pepperelli be, I don't know, like, in the gym or near right. where the sport is held? And yeah, in the gym. In the open quad of the school. Where kids can just wander around and do whatever. But uh, Buffy thinks it's lame, and we have a delightful line from Oz where he says, I don't know, I usually enjoy lameness, and this is leaving me kind of cold. Willow's reading the, the school paper. So there's a there's a there's sunny day paper. The, yeah. Yes, and this is the first time that we know that there is a school paper. Yeah, the su- sunny tale high. What is it? Sentinel or something like that? I think is what it is. Yeah, um, I think it's. <clears throat> yeah, and apparently it's just as bleak and terrible as it as it has every right to be. <laughs> yeah, it has uh, the obitu- obituaries in it. Yeah. <laughs> And Buffy's being very self-conscious, checking her hair to see if there's any horns poking through and gets all worked up and, and Willow and her step to the side to kind of talk about it. Willow is very helpful <laughs> when she asks if it was a boy demon. <laughs> um, yeah. You know very, how... Very, very helpful there, Willow. You know how, like, um, we were talking about it at Amaze, how Giles was kind of filling himself. I feel like... Willow's also kind of feeling herself in this one. Like, she's a little sassy in places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, the line where she's like, between you and me, Giles isn't doing his best work. And I'm just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it seems like an odd thing for Willow to say. Yeah. <laughs> I can buy it, though. Like, Willow's coming into mm. her own. She's just like, because she, she definitely has that, that take charge attitude again in this episode. But she's had a couple of times where she's just like, all right, 
I if if Buffy's down and Giles is occupied, I am the next in line. I am the leader, and I will just naturally fall into that position. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I've been since my surgery. I've been watching through Buffy because it's my comfort show. Yeah. So I started here where we were and started watching through, and I'm like, I'm mid season six right now. <laughs> but in season five, like Buffy does that. Like, Buffy's personality changes, mm-hmm. and she becomes a lot more, um, I don't know, grown up, I guess. Yeah. It's like you see the change from a teenager to an adult happen between those two seasons. Yeah. I know that's not what we're talking about. I just, I noticed that this time, and was like, I want to talk about that. <laughs> we'll get there. I know, there. we'll get there eventually, <laughs> but it's a while, so I wanted to go ahead and say it. Yeah. Yeah, lots of growing up to come come over the next few seasons. It'll It'll yeah. be... Definitely a topic of discussion. Because it turns out this show is a show about growing up. The cheerleaders are continuing to spell out names. And Xander is uh, observing them in true Xander fashion. And talking about how he doesn't know why he wasted his time on Cordelia. That any of those cheerleaders, you know, would suit him just fine. Like he has a chance with any of the other cheerleaders, you know. Um, (laughs) But then he sees Wesley uh looking at cordelia and gets very possessive and talks about his how his uh pierce brosny eyes are all over his cordy so xander's not over it (laughs) no apparently (laughs) which is funny like i i really felt like after lover's walk we kind of got to a point where xander and cordelia were just dead over and like on this watching i'm just like oh no there's still some lingering feelings there apparently that i missed Still some uh, possessiveness on Yeah, part not of healthy feelings, but feelings. <laughs> uh, and then the cheerleaders spell out Percy and Willow cheers for, for Percy and, and then apologizes to Buffy, but says that I have to show support. He's needy. Um, <laughs> but uh, then she says, like, you know, I'd be frightened too, but it, it, I'm sure you're going to be okay. And this is a little, little uh, fade to Buffy patrolling that night and she pauses to check and says that oh well i still have a mouth and there's this great little cut of her looking in the mirror and it shows behind her as she's looking in the mirror and it cuts back to the mirror she's closing it and it cuts back and angel's just standing behind her yeah what a creeper (laughs) so i was reading this thing and i don't remember where i saw it but it and it this is relevant it said that if the lore of vampires was was created today then them not being able to be seen in a mirror not having a reflection would not be part of the lore Mm -hmm. because that was part of the lore back when they were the idea of vampires was created and mirrors were made of silver Mm -hmm. and it was part of the they are they don't like silver that silver did not show the reflection mirrors today aren't made out of silver so today if it was first came up you would be able to see a vampire's reflection yeah i've read that before as well i just read that like recently i thought it was real interesting yeah makes sense yeah i but anyway she couldn't see him yeah and i turns around and gets surprised (laughs) i love the line i didn't see you so i should have known you were there (laughs) yeah uh and like angel's a little little protective saying it's all dangerous with faith and everything and uh, Buffy actually asked him point blank, are you tracking me or are you tracking her? And he's like, I'm tracking you. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, weirdness. Quite, yeah. Why? Oh. 
Yeah, why not just come up to her and talk to her? Was it, but like, didn't they just also have a cover, like, conversation about, like, maybe need some space? And then Angel's just like, okay, I'll give I'm her a space to. by following her. <laughs> well, he's trying to keep her safe without, without uh, getting in her space. Yeah, I get that's, it. <laughs> apparently, that's what was happening. Which is why he snuck up on her while she was looking in a mirror. Well, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that how you give space? <laughs> Ah, but, uh, yeah, so Buffy explains that she touched a demon, and now she might get some kind of tail or something, and this is where Angel's like, oh, yes, the aspect of the demon, and she's yeah, like, I know you know it, you that. know the drill, yeah, woohoo! <laughs> Sometimes demons exaggerate their power, I like that line. <laughs> Try to sound tough. This is just another, like, I feel like there's disconnect in between episodes, but, like, you know, a lot went down in enemies, but like basically the the kind of skipped it, yeah. Yeah, the like the tail end of it was basically like, okay, maybe it's a, another good time for us to like step back and evaluate our relationship because there's things about it that's clearly very traumatic, and maybe we don't need to relive over and over again, and maybe there's things that keep you know surfacing whenever we're together that we need to like observe about that and everything, and so you have that. And then you have this, where she's just, like, you know, strolling around, and he, like, grabs her and, like, pulls her around and says, Hey, I won't let anything happen to you if I can help it, no matter what. I'll always be with you. And I'm just like, foreshadowing! (laughs) (laughs) This is that awkward, still kind of possessive, even though, you know, it's it's definitely, this relationship's definitely coming to a close. (laughs) Yes, most definitely. So, back to the high school. We love the high school. We'd be be really upset if it it were to blow up soon. Um, (laughs) I don't know why that bit's so funny to me, but that bit is so funny to me. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so we're in the lounge, and Willow and Xander and Oz are talking about the game last night and how awesome it was. It was so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Buffy walks up, and they all get quiet. And she's like, oh, either we lost the game or we won. And you don't want me to feel bad. And Willow starts talking about how it wasn't really a good game. Cordelia comes up and interrupts and says, are you insane? It was the best game ever. I've got knee marks on my back. <laughs> and everybody looks at her and she's like, from the pyramid. And Willow was like, yeah, well, um, I bet that patrolling was better because it was so important. And Buffy's like, yeah, I saw a dog. <laughs> uh, So then we see Xander looking over at Cordy and we hear a voiceover of him. I wonder if she and Wesley have kissed. And Buffy's like, that bugs you, doesn't it? And Xander says, what? And she's like, them kissing. And he goes, you read my mind. And then Buffy, we could get, like, it shows Buffy really close as she realizes she did, in fact, read his mind. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like it would have taken longer Mm -hmm. to convince me that I was reading minds. Mm Mm-hmm. Than just that one thing. Like, I yeah. think... Yeah. <laughs> I think it would have taken me a little bit longer to be like, I can read minds? <laughs> like, maybe a couple other things. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, she's convinced that she, the next uh, scene is her uh, going toward the library. And she hears a teacher talking about how he wished there was no students. And then a nerd that's talking about when I'm a software software jillionaire and you're working at arby's and uh, another girl 
<laughs> I love this one. And she says, maybe I'll take French. I said, how hard can it be? French babies learn it. <laughs> and that one always cracks me up. French babies learn it. And then some guy wearing baggy pants thinking someday my pants are going to fall right off. <laughs> it's just, it's so, like if you take yeah. time to like read through a transcript or anything of all of the little different bits of dialogue that are in, that are read by Buffy. Um, it's so fun. <laughs> and then she hears a guy talking about how beautiful she is. She kind of stops and just stands there weirdly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's like, he starts talking about what he'd like to do to her. And she like rushes. Yeah. On. She's not so into it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then she's with Giles. And she's like, is this it? Is this the thing? Cause this is awesome. And she's really excited. And Giles is like, no, I don't even know that you're experiencing mind reading most likely you're just projecting and Buffy says when I came in a minute ago you thought look at those shoes if a fashion magazine told her to she'd wear cats strapped to her feet and at this <laughs> point and I know I've done this before I think I do this every time I always rewind it for a few minutes to try to see her shoes mm-hmm. and it I, it never shows it never shows her. you you just never know how outrageous yeah, her I'm shoes like, are what, what <laughs> shoes is she wearing <laughs> Like, I want to know. And I think every time I see this episode, I do that. Like, <laughs> just in case I see them this time. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't really show her shoes. And Giles is like, oh. The demons are telepathic. I should have known. That's why they don't need mouths. Of course. The demons are telepathic. I know. You just told me. That's why they don't need mouths. And you should have known. And Giles says it's going to be useful because you can anticipate your opponent's moves. And Buffy's like, way better than that. And it jumps to her in class answering questions because she is reading the other student's mind and the teacher's mind. It's a really funny scene. Uh, she's answering questions about Othello and getting them right. It ends up making uh, another student really jealous because yeah. she knew that. And Willow surprised because <laughs> Willow's like, wow, Buffy understood the reading. Um, and Xander's thinking about how the teacher is hot. But it's a really funny little thing uh -uh. yeah we get more like just random students that never existed before we get nancy we get freddie the the one who's been writing all of the just dark traumatic crap in the paper like just the amount of students that are wedged in here but like yeah. okay so there's they're discussing othello and that's like you know obvious you know tie-ins it's been a long time since i read othello but there's obvious tie-ins there between buffy and faith and othello and iago and all of that that's that's spelled out even a little bit in this but anytime i watch this i'm still just like even with buffy like reading the mind of the teacher and stuff like that like the the amount of engagement that is happening in this class even even without that i'm just like that's not like that's not high school <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> that teacher, you, you that teacher is way more enthusiastic <laughs> than it. That I, I feel like is realistic. You know, alone, like way the more Nan kids Nancy just being like, oh, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna get super competitive here. Like, mm. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really happen. These are these are kids that are finishing up their senior year of high school. <laughs> they're 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 so checked out at this point. They're not. You're lucky if they know the main character's name in any work that you ask them to read. <laughs> I'm, you're not wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the fact that the teacher isn't more blown away by Puffy knowing all of this stuff. <laughs> At, like, coming over with uh, PhD candidate level 
explanations of this book. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, this this teacher apparently did, like, dissertations, and she's teaching at Sunnydale High. <laughs> yeah, why is she teaching at Sunnydale High and when she has a Ph.D.? <laughs> Assuming that she, you know, got her Ph.D., but she was trying for one. Yeah, still, like, it's Sunnydale High. <laughs> How do yeah, they get why, these? why are you not teaching at uh, college somewhere? Or even, like, I don't know what high school that isn't in Sunnydale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buffy continues to impress, and then as the teacher kind of explains that, you know, we all have our little internal Iagos that tell us our husbands or our girlfriends or whatever don't really love us, she starts to get an idea. <laughs> yes, idea. A very, a very smart idea that involves... Literally, like, stealing the thoughts away from her significant other. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she goes to the mansion, and Angel uh, opens the door, and she comes in and spends, like, three whole minutes babbling about <laughs> uh, sunlight this. and school, and I'm talking, like, faith, and faith wasn't so bad, and <gasps> all this, and the thing about faith, and Angel just sits there quietly while she's just talk, doing this, nonstop talking. <laughs> and then just all of a sudden interrupts her and says, you can't get into my mind. Yeah. And Buffy says, you know, why not? And how did you know? And he's like, you got your aspect of the demon, but it's like the mirror. The thoughts are there, but they create no reflection in you, which with the uh, silver mirror theory, that doesn't really make sense. But okay, Angel. <laughs> Also, like, uh, I am sure at some point, to some level, this has been debunked in the show. Like, there's gotta be, like, I, I know that I've seen, like, definitely where they can sense emotion, or, like, empaths can still interact with vampires or something like that, but there's, like, also, like, how how does it work with Willow later on? Where Willow's, like, doing the weird, like, telepathy back and forth with, like, with Spike. Spike at the end of season five. Because, like, he's saying the words out loud, but he's at such a distance from her in that moment that I don't think that she's hearing those words. So she's got to be reading his mind in order to be having that conversation back and forth. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting bit of canon that immediately gets ignored later in the series. But it's all it's all good. Um <laughs> Well, maybe it's a different kind of mind reading. Maybe he's he's, he's willingly he's, he's willingly sending that message back yeah. to Willow. That's the that's the trick. Um, and then Angel kind of scolds her a little bit by saying, "You don't have to play games with me, Buffy, ever." And I don't know. I've always found that kind of condescending mm -hmm. when he says that to her. And she goes, "You're not exactly Joe. Here's what I'm thinking." And he says, "So ask me." And basically, he's like, you know, I hated hurting you. It cut me deeper than I've ever been cut, more than I can stand to hurt you. And uh, Angel's just, like, kissing her meant nothing. I don't want a bad girl. I want you. And basically, they, you know, work it all out since they decided to actually talk to each other. Yeah, there's a lot of so, these kind of back and forths with Buffy and Angel this season where it's just like, we can't be together. All right, next episode. Hey, let's be together. <laughs> <laughs> We need um, some time. Next episode. Hey, I love you. <laughs> and then Angel says in, you know, 243 years, I've loved exactly one person, which, I mean, he loves Darla. <laughs> or he loved Darla. But it seems like, you know, for, you know, 240 years, he, if you look at the, like, rest of the Buffy Buffyverse, mm -hmm. for 243 years, he didn't love anyone. And then... 
He loves Buffy. And then he loves human Darla. And then he loves Cordelia. All within the space of like five years. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing what will happen like, when you socialize with a soul. <laughs> oh, good point. <laughs> Although he did socialize until like the 60s. Yeah. Sort of. I, um, I... My takeaway from the whole, like, in 243 years, I've loved exactly one person. I'm just like, so is he just, like, literally not counting the time that he spent in a hell dimension as time that he had, like, lived? Does he just, like, reset the the clock back? Because we know he spent, like, 100 years in a hell dimension or something, some kind of nonsense like that. Well, maybe he just decided those didn't count. Those didn't count, yeah. That's not him aging on this planet. So, like, even though he doesn't age. But, like... That was, like, the thing that, like, made me go, huh, technically, he's, like, 343 years old now. (laughs) True. And then we have a funny little back and forth at the end where he's, like... Be careful with this gift. A lot of things that seem strong and good and powerful, they can be painful. Like, say, immortality? (laughs) Exactly. I'm dying to get rid of that. Funny? I'm a funny guy. I cherish that line so much. I don't, like, that was, like, one of the first times, like, I legitimately laughed at Angel. I was just like, ha! He said a funny thing. Uh, which is, which is, I like, I don't know if you've seen much like behind the scenes stuff with David Boreanaz, but he is the goofiest goofball that ever did goofball. <laughs> I have not. He I've is such a goober him. and it's so funny to think of him playing this just like deadpan, like no, no comedic bone in his body, Angel, for like so long. And then like you actually see him behind the set scenes and he's just like, woohoo. All right, so in the next scene, this delightful thing, um, we got the gang at the library, and it has been revealed to all of them that Buffy can read minds. <laughs> and this is just, there's so much hilarious here. Just, mm-hmm. I don't, there's so much funny here. <laughs> there is so much funny here. The funniest person in this whole conversation, I think, is Cordelia. Yes, I think. I th- it just, it's so simple. It the, is. What they do with her character is just amazing. But um, it's so clearly what Cordelia is, and it's so great. <laughs> with just, yeah, everything in this scene is doing all the voiceovers of uh, everybody and like what they're thinking, and they're all saying other things than what they're thinking, except Cordelia. Yeah, Cordelia, it'll do a voiceover of what her what she's thinking, and then she will immediately say that exact same thing. It is just hilarious, like. Near the beginning, she's thinking, I don't see what this has to do with me. And then she immediately says, I don't see what this has to do with me. Mm-hmm. Um, Willow then tells Buffy that it's good because she enjoys her other slower, slayer powers. And then Willow is thinking, she's hardly even human anymore. How can I be her friend now? She doesn't need me. And Buffy's like, no, I need you. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, Giles says there must be some precedence for this sort of occurrence. I'll start re- researching it. And he wants Wesley to help him. And then Oz is like... I am my thought. If they exist in her, Buffy contains <laughs> everything that is me, and she becomes me. I cease to exist. And then Xander has a voiceover where he's thinking, what am I going to do? I think about sex all the time. <laughs> sex, help. Four times five is 30. Five times six is 32. Naked girls, naked women, but naked Buffy. Um, one note that I had during this with Xander doing that voiceover is he manages to look really creepy during it. <laughs> like, and I don't know if it's just what he's saying. 
or if it's like the camera angle or whatever, but he looks creepy. Yeah. Like creepy. It's just, it's the utter panic that happens when Xander realizes, because he's the first one to start stuff. He's like, wait, she can read her minds or every impulse and fantasy. Like he's the one that starts off this whole train of like getting into the minds of the Scoobies. And it's, it's so funny because he's in utter panic because he knows what he thinks about and everybody knows what he thinks about, but like he's afraid that like <laughs> about revealing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, then exactly Buffy is like, Xander, is that all you think about? <laughs> <laughs> and so Xander says, yeah, bye, and runs out of the library. Mm-hmm. And Wesley starts talking pompously about how Xander has just illustrated something. Chances are, you're all going to be think, find yourself thinking whatever you least want Buffy to hear. It's a matter, of course, of mental discipline. And while he's saying that, he's thinking, look at Cordelia. No, don't look at Cordelia. She's a student. Oh, I'm a bad man. A bad, bad man. <laughs> and Buffy just looks at him and he's like, yeah, excuse me. And he leaves. Giles is watching Buffy, like all these interactions mm-hmm. with everybody. And you can tell he's starting to get a little worried. Um, and Willow asks her what it's like. And she says, all these doors can open all the time and I can walk in. And as Buffy talks, she hears underneath it Willow talking about how she knows what Oz is thinking. I never know that. She'll know him better than I do. And Willow's like, or Buffy says, Willow, don't think that. Willow says, I can't help it and leaves. And then Oz says, if you don't need me, I'm going to follow the redhead. And he leaves. And now it's just Buffy and Giles. Buffy's like, okay, I won't write that book. Oh, wait, it's not just Buffy and Giles. I was wrong. Buffy, Giles, and Cordelia. Because Cordelia is still there. And Buffy says, I guess I won't write that book, Win Friends Through Telepathy. And Cordelia, voiceover, says, whatever, I wonder when I can go. And And then she says... Whatever, can I go? And I love it. And then Buffy says, you know what? Y'all stay. I'm going to go. I'm getting a headache. Yeah. And we see Giles look at her um, worried again. And uh, yeah. Yeah. This scene is just... I love that it's already like planting the seeds of like, this is such a invasion of privacy and like so many people are reacting differently like Cordelia has always kind of been an open book she doesn't really care so like she's literally an open book Oz has always had the appearance of having a lot more going on internally than what he presents outwards so like that's interesting to see him like start to break all of this stuff down and again approach it in a very rational way but still talk about how if if Buffy can hear like if Buffy can read everything that I'm thinking then what what part of me is me and what part of me is Buffy and is Buffy like become like so intrusive of my myself that I no longer am myself kind of deal like like like, there's some interesting tidbits from like the Oz stuff and it's just like so like just played for a joke but there's actually like some really some some cool stuff going on there for me like though the one that's the most interesting because we've already talked about the fact that willow can do this later on in the series like willow mm-hmm. can read people's thoughts like she has to put a little bit of effort into it and there probably has to be some willingness to it unless she's willing to go dark enough to where she doesn't have to have that but she can communicate uh telepathically with 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 the scoobies later on in the series Mm -hmm. that's something that she does on a few occasions and in this she has the line she's hardly even human anymore which is such an interesting line (laughs) that she's like thinking about buffy and buffy's ability to like invade people's thoughts and that's something that willow can eventually do (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i'm just like woo, fun (laughs) But yeah, like, 
it is barring the fact that like thoughts don't really work like this and we rarely think in complete sentences the way we talk um mm. the the idea of someone being able to to know your thoughts and the panic inducing nature of which like xander reacts um, the introspective, like, trying to figure out, like, what does that mean for reality that Oz tries to in interpretate, the, like, um, self-conscious and judgmental way that Willow approaches it. Like, all of them, like, fit the characters so well, but they oh, also yeah. have, like, s like nice commentaries about what what it actually is to have your your thoughts, your your mind be yours, right? And have mm -hmm. that not be open for anybody else to just experience. And it's kind of interesting coming off of the conversation earlier between Buffy and Willow. Where Willow's encouraging that she just talk to Angel. That she just ask how Angel's feeling. What Angel's thinking. What, what Angel's experience was like with Faith and all of that. And then to have this where Willow, who encourages open discourse to be one of the ones that's the most critical of it. Like, Xander's panicking, but Xander's just panicking because he's afraid that people are going to think that all he thinks about is sex, which I'm pretty sure everybody already thought that about Xander anyway. He's kind of he's kind of easy to read. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, like, Willow's the one that's just, like, you know, she's hardly even human. Like, I can't, I can't be around her. I can't do this. You know, she knows more about Oz than I do. Uh, like, you know, it's it's like a, a real moment of panic for her. So there's definitely a line that exists in Willow's head of, like, open discourse should be the way and you should be able to ask people you care and trust questions and expect an honest answer back. But, like, there's there's really, in, in my mind, I don't think anybody that Willow trusts more than Buffy at this point in the series. And here Willow is freaked out about the idea mm -hmm. of having her mind her mind being openly read having Oz's mind being openly read because there's definitely a difference between willingly telling somebody something and having somebody take that away from you against your will yeah just pluck it out of your head yeah so yeah it's a funny goofy scene yeah it's, it's an awesome scene but also this power's really uncomfortable <laughs> okay. so it escalates quickly for Buffy now she's experiencing more of uh, people's self-hatred, their anxieties, the the stress and pain that exists around her as, as all of these voices uh, that she can't shut out. It's not just that she's going in and, and stealing these people's thoughts. It's that they're, they're broadcasted so loud that she cannot not hear them. Um, and she's getting a big old smack in the face of what it's like not to just be her singular high school student at Sunnydale High, but what it is to be the student body at uh, Sunnydale High. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lot. Like, I don't know how it's it breaks down in your script, but like in mine, just like the little bits here and there, I'm just like, mm, yeah, I could see. I could see how all of those overlapping would really, would really just... Be a lot. It, like, and part of me wishes that this was a little bit more drawn out. Like, we had a little bit more time where Buffy could hear, like, individual voices before it just becomes the din that it becomes. Mm -hmm. But also, like, I have yeah, no it, idea it how, so it, how it wouldn't happen this fast, though. Like, yeah. it seems like this would be the obvious, like, it would happen so fast. 
as soon as you start, like, opening up to that power, which Buffy does, gleefully opens up to that power. She she enjoys it at first. She's really, really, like, yeah, you know, this lavishing is awesome. in, in the moment. And then, since she's opened up to the power and it so quickly starts to uh, come naturally to her, then she can't shut it off, and all of a sudden, woo, boy! Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, Buffy's, Buffy's being bombarded, and we cut back to Giles' office where he's researching... And he founds a, a man in Ecuador who inherited the same type of power. And Wesley asks if they can contact him because it was it was quite recent that this happened. And Giles says that he can't communicate with anyone. Wesley asks if he's dead. And Giles says, no, he's in complete isolation. And that he can't shut the power off. And it's... Uh, it's yeah, he can't control it. Yeah. <laughs> it's when we go back to uh, Buffy... Uh, still, still kind of just being surrounded by students at Sunnydale High. Like, at this point, like, even just that little scene earlier, I'd be like, hmm, maybe not go to a cafeteria right now. Yeah, let's go somewhere else. <laughs> let's go outside where you're, like, at what range does this power work? And I, it almost makes it seem like it grows like, at first, you have to be relatively close to the person, and then towards the uh-huh. end, you don't have to be close. Like, you, yeah. your 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 range at which you can hear thoughts grows. It's, uh... Because she can hear them in her yeah, bedroom. Yeah, yeah, she's, like, isolated in her bedroom, and she can hear people all around. So, man, this is... This is an intense power that that uh, <laughs> is is rapidly getting more intense. Um, but yeah, she's in line, and we have Jonathan, who's not a new student. We have seen him before, <laughs> but he's... which is fun. Jonathan basically asks her, uh, "Are you through with the potatoes?" Then thinks she doesn't even know I'm here. Mm-hmm. She kind of just keeps moving around the cafeteria and uh, kind of gets where she's standing in the middle of the cafeteria and everyone's moving and talking around her. And then she hears someone say, and it sounds different from all the other voices. It sounds less like a voiceover and kind of more like a like a harsh whisper. Mm-hmm. It says, this time tomorrow, I'll kill you all. And then everything goes silent and she drops her tray and all the kids you know, clap and everything. And it shows her like running around trying to find which student did it by grabbing them. Mm-hmm. And then finally it just gets so loud and builds up with all the voices that she kind of just passes out. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, I'm curious to know how like Slayer power, Slayer endurances and stuff like that affect the mind. Like, does she have anything that makes her stronger in this power than a normal human would be or is she reacting the exact same way that any human would or is it not even tied to that at all because it's it's so tied to the mind and like how many thoughts you can take in and how much your brain can process and how much you can like handle all all of this information coming to you but it's also like we've talked before about Buffy when it comes to her empathy and so Mm -hmm. she's not just like hearing thoughts but she's hearing everybody's like deep emotional subconscious thoughts that generally speaking are probably like the most vulnerable and open anybody Mm -hmm. would ever be ever and she's doing that as Buffy as this incredibly empathetic person who is probably feeling those thoughts as much as she is just like I don't think it's just like a oh it's a bunch of noise oh this is loud like she is she is emotionally going through what every student in that area is going through and it causes her to collapse 
And yeah, like I think in a way, because I, 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 we don't get a lot about the other person that got the the power, but it seems like this happened really fast for Buffy because she what she got the power, and then this is essentially like the next day that before she like when she realized she had had the power, and then the next day she's collapsed on the floor because it's too much. Mm-hmm. But I think that also could be the level of empath she is and the level of exposure she has to students who are going through really terrible stuff. And like, these are pretty normal high school things happening in in a lot of these thoughts, which is bad enough. But my mind can't help but start filling gaps because you know <laughs> the kids that go to the school are experiencing not just normal high school stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, their 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 newspaper has an obit section, so (laughs) (laughs) the amount of weight and and um, guilt and everything that Buffy already experiences, coupled with the ability to read everybody's minds around her and feel their feelings, you know, I enjoy the the funny bits earlier, and I uh, part of me is just like, man. I really wish we had more of those like moments where she could just read individual minds. But there was funny. no yeah. there was no way that this wasn't gonna happen just super, super fast and not feel like realistic. Like yeah. the they had to get to this point fast because of who Buffy is and where she is and what sh- what the students around her are feeling and how she can't not feel what they're feeling. So yeah, Buffy passes out. <laughs> slayer strength and slayer abilities be damned she can't handle it anymore and she just faints in the middle of the cafeteria and then is woken up after being taken outside by the scoobies um and she can kind of hear their thoughts as they're all being quiet you know because they're they're trying to give her you know some time to wake up but all of their thoughts are still there loud and uh they're all like oh she's waking up thank goodness she's okay cordelia's cold um (laughs) Buffy um, says that there's a killer in the cafeteria. <laughs> Basically goes from, I'm okay, also there's a killer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Xander says, I've been saying for years that the lunch lady's going to do us all in with that mulligan stew. I mean, what the hell is a mulligan? Yeah. Which I'd like to point out that Xander is immediately correct about the bad guy. Yeah, just calls him. <laughs> just calls him. Um, and Giles asked her if she recognized the voice, and she said no, and she starts to try to go back in, and they're like, yeah, you can't. Oz says, are you sure they meant it? Um, and then Xander, again, goes creepy with, a, I mean, who hasn't just idly thought about taking out the whole place with a semi-automatic? And then they stare at him, and he says, I said idly. So he's got two uh, creepy moments. Yeah, I, I'm wondering in this episode if they were also considering about making Xander evil sometimes. <laughs> Apparently. You know, Um, always leave your options open. (laughs) Buffy says they meant it, and uh, they all start looking at her thinking. One of the thoughts is, Cordelia's, I'm not getting any warmer. (laughs) Buffy screams, shut up, and all her friends back up. And she's like, I'm sorry, just stop thinking so much. And Giles says, I'm going to take you home. And she tells everybody to make a list of all the students that were in the cafeteria. And uh, Buffy starts mentioning people, and Giles is like, you know, come get in the car. And she starts telling... Giles, how she can't shut it out, you know, and Giles says, you know, if we can't stop it, she'll go insane. And, you know, she hears it, of course. Yeah. I feel like Giles would have been trying to help her block things out more, like try to teach her to block it out. 
Mm-hmm. And he just basically is like, yeah, this other person couldn't handle it, so neither can you. I feel like he should have at least tried with her, but I guess they're trying to go with the, this is absolutely something that no one can handle. Yeah. And I think situation. that's the that's the idea is like you can't you can't learn to control this power. This power will will just overwhelm you. It makes me wonder for like the demons that actually have this power inherently because they can. That's how they communicate. They communicate with without uh, speech. They communicate with thought. Do they only hear each other's thoughts? Do they only hear people of their kind, or do they hear all thoughts? Like because. Yeah. I would assume they don't hear all thoughts just because at the very beginning, Buffy tricks them. Yeah. Like, Buffy flats out tricks them. So either they can shut it off, or they don't understand human thoughts, or maybe because mm-hmm. human thoughts are... Primitive hum- for the Well, something. it's not even primitive, but of... If you never communicate in a language and only communicate telepathically, how do you understand thoughts in one's mind that may be based on language? Which, again... Yeah. This isn't how thoughts work, and that's not the way that um, people would actually be thinking. They wouldn't be thinking in complete sentences like this and spelling it all out. It'd be it'd just be a jumbled mess, and it'd be a lot of emotions and a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, things that we do pick up on as humans. We do kind of have our ways of feeling what people other people are feeling through through empathy, and that's that's all existent. But like literally being able to pick out specific thoughts, Buffy Buffy has that now. But like, how does this work as um, a demon path of communication? Is is interesting to me because like they make bits of of uh, her like covering her head with a pillow, like she could literally hear them, hear the thoughts and stuff like that. But in this moment, she's just like, "Don't th- can you guys not think so loud?" And then she realizes that that's kind of silly and then says, or uh, so much, because it's not, there's not a loudness thing. It's just a, a proximity thing and a, and a inability to block out thoughts. Um, so like, what would be the method to teach someone how to deal with this power? Like, how could you block out thoughts? And the only way that I could see is complete isolation, which is what the other guy ended up doing. You know, you have to be so far away that the the wavelengths of the thoughts of the people around you don't reach you and it wouldn't be like it's not like a soundproofing thing i don't think like you know i don't think you can put yourself in a in a soundproof room because i don't think the thoughts are read the same way that sounds are read based on the little bits here and there that have been tossed out and the fact Mm -hmm. that it doesn't seem to uh, change if Buffy blocks out or, or or tries to overpower the noise of everybody around her with other noise um i don't think that's an effective way of blocking it out so like is there a way that someone could exist with this power i don't think there is so i think like giles just immediately being like she's gonna go insane is is probably the right track (laughs) which he might have read more entries of that like i really want to know what happened to that other guy Yeah, that would be... Did he stay in isolation? Did he yeah, like figure he's, out some he's way? Yeah, he's completely or? in isolation is what we got, is that that's where he's at. And he is not communicating with anybody ever. You cannot reach him. It's a solitary life that man leads. Uh, so then we go to the library and we have Willow, Xander, Oz, and Cordelia. They've made a list of the people in the cafeteria. And Willow is going to match it against the FBI mass murderer profiles to try to rule some people out. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they decide that they're going to get to work and do that. And they have until lunchtime tomorrow after a little conversation about school shootings. Mm-hmm. And then we are in Buffy's room where Buffy's mom is fluttering around trying to do stuff for her, getting her another pillow and another blanket and all this stuff. And Buffy's just trying to get her mom to stop. And then Joyce is like, you want some soup, chicken and stars? And Buffy's like, mom, stop it. Come, come sit with me. And Joyce is like, oh, no, I really need to go do laundry and stuff. And then Buffy reads Joyce's mind that she had sex with Giles mm-hmm. on a police car <laughs> twice. Um, and Joyce is like, it was the candy. We were teenagers. <laughs> I love this. Apparently. Um, so Jane Espenson wrote this episode and also wrote Band Candy. And... She like put this in this episode just just because she was just like there's there's people that don't realize that they had sex and I want to make I it didn't. abundantly clear that Joyce and Giles did it. <laughs> I um, I did not realize that they had sex because yeah. it didn't. It, my mind did not go from kissing on a police car to we're going to have sex in public on a police car. Yeah. But like, like stuck she wanted to make it abundantly. She was gonna. Wow. She was not gonna leave anything open to, to interpretation. There, she wanted to yeah. make sure the audience understood that Joyce and Giles banged on that police car. <laughs> <laughs> that was very important to her. <laughs> yeah. And then we are in the library of Willows at the computer later that day, and apparently nobody's going to class today. Nah. Um, Xander, Oz, and Cordy are watching. She pulled some stuff out of the printer, and she took the list and narrowed it to a dozen suspects and hands them all questionnaires <laughs> of who they have to go interview. And uh, as they leave, tells them to write neatly and label their worksheets. Oh, it's so it's so beautiful. But yeah, like this yeah. is that that Willow take charge moment. Like she's got she she's the leader, right? She she steps into that role so so smoothly out of all of the kids. If Buffy's down and Giles is down, Willow's the leader. And like sometimes she'll even boss Giles around. She don't care. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's a line in this that I love so immensely, and it's it, it it's such a beautiful beautiful line. But when she's handing out the assignments, Cordelia's like, oh, I think I should work with Wesley. And Xander's like, you have no shame. And Cordelia replies, oh, please. Like, shame is something to be proud of. And I love that line. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's right. It's so great. <laughs> I love Cordelia so much. <laughs> Such a fabulous just statement to throw out there in, in all of the random sea of crap that we get. So... So yeah, they they take their assignments and uh, go to talk to their assigned students and all of that. And we cut to Willow interrogating Jonathan for the second time of the series. Yeah. (laughs) And again, I'm wondering, like, how much influence did just the weird things that happened to Jonathan from the Scoobies specifically shape what he ended up doing later in the series uh yeah <laughs> but it's just like she's like we all have fantasies where we're powerful and respected where people pay attention to us and i immediately flash forward to superstar and i was just like oh oh yeah jonathan did that <laughs> yeah oh that's one of my least favorite episodes but yeah i watched it recently so <laughs> jonathan did that <laughs> yes he did uh, but yeah, 
Um, this, this is just a fun little, it's just so, it's fun high school stuff, right? We're enjoying the fun high school stuff. The students talking to other students, the random, the random back and forths. Willow putting thoughts into Jonathan's head. Uh, Hogan wanting to <laughs> pass the, the personality profile for the yearbook. <laughs> <laughs> Which clearly means, like, yeah, he's not, <laughs> he's not, he's not it's our not highest the... of suspects. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I have, I have moderate strain. Is that good? <laughs> I want to get this right. <laughs> yeah. Cordelia being Cordelia in all of the best Cordelia ways. <laughs> and Xander being Xander in all of the typical horrible Xander ways. <laughs> not doing what he was asked to do, yeah. <laughs> There's also several bits where Oz tries to go and interview Freddy, who's the uh, newspaper, guy. newspaper guy. And um, Freddy, like, hides from him. <laughs> and then we're back with Buffy. Uh, again, just hearing thoughts at quite a distance, it seems. And just getting more and more, like, overwhelmed. Like, she tries, she tries a couple of things to, like, try to shut it out, but it seems like there's, there's no, no difference at all, um, and she's just hearing a crazy amount of voices, and again, like, if, if anybody hasn't done this, I highly recommend just going and reading, like, a transcript or, like, going through this scene slowly with subtitles on or something. I don't even know how much it shows up on subtitles. It might just be, like, a den of voices. Uh, Buffy, you know, <laughs> rolls around in her bed. But, like, if you can, like, read the breakdown of all of this, it's really fun to, like, read. And it's, it's interesting because as you get into this, you get more of, like, the adult stuff. Like, people fed up with their jobs or people worried about others cheating on them or something like that. You know, it's, it's or one uh, more drink. That'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff starts to blend in there. So you get more of the adult voices coming in and it turns out, yeah, it doesn't get better. when you grow up? Those internal voices stick around. <laughs> then we have a little scene where uh, Giles and Wesley are doing book work, trying to figure out how to help Buffy. Uh, they, fi they discover that there's a cure and, um, that they have to have the still beating heart of the second demon, which they have no idea how to get without the Slayer. And Wesley says, negative thinking doesn't solve problems. <laughs> and Giles is like, yeah, but who's going to get the human, the demon heart? <laughs> and then we see Angel beating up the second demon. Yeah, Angel uh, being just, just, just super, you super know, his name, is, his name is Angel, champion guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> doing, doing what he does best. Can I cut back to the scene? I literally, like, emphasize the Wesley saying negative thinking doesn't solve problems. And I'm just like, I want that juxtaposed with um, uh, the line he gives and, like, season four where he's just like i had my throat slit and all my friends abandoned me <laughs> the same character delivered those two lines <laughs> oh those are very different characters <laughs> it's the same character damn it very very different characters <laughs> oh it's beautiful beautiful character arc oh and yeah so it's uh the next day and buffy is still struggling in her room and uh the scoobies are still interviewing students there's only 12 students but they had to spread it out over a couple of days i guess and willow's talking with nancy in this great little back and forth do i often imagine classmates are spying on me or otherwise acting suspiciously right not till just now and then we have larry 
Hey, Larry. He's out and proud. Bless him. I'm so happy for him. <laughs> His About grandmother's fixing him up with guys. And he encourages Xander to, you know, just come out as well. It'll it'll be great. They said they could do a coming out announcement in the paper. <laughs> Something tasteful. <laughs> <laughs> And Oz continues to try to locate Freddy. And that Freddy, he's just elusive, man. He's just, he's definitely, he's definitely got something going on. He's definitely a suspicious, suspicious character. And yeah, everybody's reporting back to Willow. And uh, Freddy is the only one that they weren't able to locate. But they do note that today's editorial was titled, The Big Game Draws Mindless Brain Dead Mob. So, you know... Might might be reasonable to assume it could that be he, he could be could the be one. <laughs> Cordelia asks if he mentioned the cheerleaders, because of course she does, because the cheerleaders were on. <laughs> um, and then we have this like little moment that I actually really appreciate. There's a lot of cuts um, to just Buffy being miserable, but I like this like outside perspective of Buffy's parents. Because obviously it's Buffy's parents of Joyce and Giles and Joyce being like, I keep wondering if I'm hurting her with my thoughts. And Giles says that at this point she can't pick out any one individual thought out of the den. And then suddenly a bunch of banging on the door and Angel's there. He's got the the, the demon heart and uh, gets it up to Buffy and he picks her up and says that he's going to help her and <laughs> feeds her a demon heart. <laughs> at which point she appears to have a seizure yeah it's it doesn't go down real easy um no he starts to panic he shouts for giles but we cut away so we don't know exactly how all that how all that pans out and uh we see the scoobies on a mission gonna they're gonna go find freddy and figure out what he's up to and then we cut to the clock tower because apparently sunnydale high has a clock tower and jonathan of course it there. is a clock tower we have never seen until yeah. today yeah <laughs> And and Jonathan's up there opening up a case that has a rifle in it. So yeah, oh, lots Jonathan. Of, lots happening. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot happening. Buffy wakes up, sees Angel, and Joyce is there and asks, Do you do you hear thoughts? And she kind of takes a moment and realizes that she doesn't, and then immediately again goes, Did you find the killer? I love her. I love Buffy so much. She's she's yeah. like, I don't care if I'm dying from thoughts. I don't care if I finally have the relief from not hearing the thoughts. I'm focused on what's happening and I'm going to save the day because that's who I am. And I'm just like, yes, you are. That's yes, who you are. are. You are going to save the day. <laughs> and then the Scoobies make it to Freddy. And I love this so much. I am so this just scene is this hilarious. So great. That they, this, this little, like, build up, they already had the Jonathan reveal. So it's, like, clearly, like, there's, there's several layers of twists. But I think it would have been funny if we had continued to make it seem like Freddy was the, the killer a little bit longer. Just so we could have had this reveal of him just being like, you're not here about the review. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and Oz reading the review. I'm going to sound clip it because it's just so great. Dingoes ate my baby, played their instruments as if they had plump Polish sausages taped to their fingers. Sorry, man. No, it's fair. Oh, <laughs> and I love the little pat, like the little like consoling pat that Willow gives to Oz afterwards. Yeah. And he just accepts that he's in a terrible band. <laughs> It's hilarious. Um, and then Xander looks at uh, Freddie. It's kind of like, if you happen to find a tasteful announcement about me from Larry. 
And Cordelia's like, we have no shot. We lose. And then Buffy shows up and says, we still have a few minutes. And Buffy willingly walked into a building that she thinks is fixing to have a shooter kill everyone. Yep. Within a in few true, minutes. In true Buffy fashion. That is exactly well, what she and, would be. <laughs> and all the Scoobies, because they all went to school. Yep. You know, they all went back to school that day. Mm-hmm. Which this is like the point where she actually is just like, hey, let's get Snyder to evacuate the school. And I'm just like, yeah, or pull a fire alarm or something. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I'm not sure why they thought they could get Snyder to do anything. But, but like, um, why wasn't that part of the plan? Let's just not yeah. be in school that day. But I guess they want to figure out who it is, right? It's the mystery. <laughs> and then we hear Cordelia reading from a letter that was sent in to the paper. Hmm. And she is reading basically a, it's a suicide note, but you don't know that when you first watch. Mm -hmm. And it kind of sounds like an apology for killing a bunch of people. Yeah. She tosses it aside and it's like, doesn't anyone write in to praise the cheerleaders? <laughs> and Willow grabs the letter and sees that it's Jonathan. And she's like, oh, it's Jonathan. Buffy says, let's split up and find him. At which they, they kind of all... Look at look for him in their own way again. Yeah. I love the little moment where they all just like, in action, it's Jonathan, and they all just d depart. And then Freddy's just like, what the hell was all that? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Willow runs into the library calling for him. Xander mm -hmm. goes to the cafeteria calling for him and then sees Jello and uh, <laughs> goes to get Jello. Yeah. And Cordy, like, grabs every short brunette boy she sees and turns them around to see if they're jonathan and she like, like takes physically. a long she takes a long time on each one she's like mm, nope yeah. <laughs> she has to really scrutinize them to make sure she's like mm. and then buffy is walking around outside and just happens to out of the corner of her eye see a glint of metal in the clock tower yep that good old sunnydale so, high clock tower Okay, so she does some amazing feats of <laughs> gymnastic abilities. And some things that wouldn't even be possible <laughs> to get up there to him. As she's doing this, my question is, how did Jonathan get up there? Because you know that that is not accessible to students. Hmm, good question. Uh, my only uh, assumption is that nobody notices Jonathan. <laughs> And so he just kind of broke in the stairwell guess, or something. I guess. Yeah, but you know that's not like a place students can just go. Yeah. Otherwise, there'd be couples up there like every day. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> It'd be a very happening spot. Yeah. So Buffy crashes into the tower and rolls right up to Jonathan, who grabs a gun and says, get away from me. So Buffy starts by like just being like, you want to point that somewhere else? And Jonathan's, you know, don't try and stop me. Um, and Buffy's just trying to defuse the situation, kind of talking cavalierly, like, hey, look, I can see City Hall from here. Jonathan says, go away, and Buffy replies, never gonna happen. And then we have this, this back and forth that leads to, um, Jonathan shouting at Buffy to stop, stop acting like we're friends. We're not friends. I'm an idiot. I'm a short idiot. You all think I am. And Buffy's like, I don't. And then she gives this speech, which I like this speech, but it has been pointed out by others. And I think I will also point it out, like, if Jonathan is truly suicidal in this moment, I'm not sure how effective of a speech it would be. <laughs> but also, 
just having someone notice, which is apparently what Jonathan is wrestling with right now. Having somebody notice him at all, which Buffy is doing at this point. And I think the the never gonna happen when he says go away is probably enough at that moment already to defuse the situation to where he's not gonna take his life. But Buffy gives a speech that says, I don't think about you much at all. Nobody here really does. Bugs you, doesn't it? You have all this pain, all these feelings, and nobody's really paying attention. You think I just want attention? No, I think you're up in the clock tower with a high-powered rifle because you want to blend in. Believe it or not, Jonathan, I understand about the pain. Oh, right. Because the burden of being beautiful and athletic, that's a crippler. You know what? I was wrong. You are an idiot. My life happens to, on occasion, suck beyond the telling of it. Sometimes more than I can handle. And it's not just mine. Every single person down there is ignoring your pain because they're too busy with their own. Beautiful ones. Popular ones. The guys that pick on you. Everyone. You could hear what they were feeling. Loneliness, the confusion. It looks quiet down there. It's not. It's deafening. And she's saying this to someone that she thinks is about to shoot up the school, but who is actually <laughs> contemplating suicide. And I just, I do struggle with the idea. <laughs> That this is going to turn Jonathan around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's... Well, maybe it's, this stopped him long enough for yes, him to get therapy. To get, yeah, to get somewhere. Like, and they do address it again a little bit further. But like, the the idea of the, him committing suicide being the twist, mm -hmm. I think, lessens the impact of the realization that Jonathan was up there to commit suicide. With one, one, like, the gun doesn't make any sense. The type of gun that he brought to commit suicide doesn't make any sense. But the fake out of, oh, he's going to shoot everybody else. No, he was going to shoot himself and then have the wacky scene with the, the uh, cafeteria worker and the rat poison and all of that nonsense um, right after this. Yeah. Downplays the fact that he came up there to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And that, I don't know, was handled with the gravity that it should have been handled with. <laughs> And that's like the one thing is just like looking at this speech, I think it kind of makes sense with what Buffy's experiencing and Buffy's our main character and all of that. And like Buffy's approaching it differently than she probably would have had she known that he went up there to shoot himself. Like she's, yeah, she's not approaching, she's not telling somebody who's committing, who's, who's, you know, threatening to commit suicide that you are an idiot and life sucks for everybody. Get over it. But she is, you know, relaying these feelings that, you know, Life sucks for everybody, but we all just kind of keep on living because that's that's the that's how we have to do it. And, you know, everybody's not ignoring you because they think little of you. They, they're ignoring you because they're so swept up, swept up in their own life stuff that they're 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 just trying to keep up with what they have going. Um, and I think that approach kind of makes sense. 
from the, I think you're about to shoot all these people and I want you to understand that there's so much going on with everybody around you that they're not consciously ignoring you. They're, they're, they've just got a lot of stuff going on. And so it's not them being cruel to you, even though there are some that are definitely specifically cruel to Jonathan and Jonathan did not have a great high school life. And she even mentions that there are guys that pick on him, on him in the list of people that she's talking about who are all dealing with their own problems. So it makes sense. The speech makes sense from the perspective of, you know, if you want to lash out at everyone around you, you have to understand that they are dealing with the same stuff that you're dealing with. They have their own lives going on and all of the baggage that you're feeling and all of the pain and suffering that you're feeling, each of those individual people also feel that. So like I can kind of understand the speech from the perspective of don't do this out of pettiness uh, or being mad at people for not giving you the attention you think you deserve because everybody has all of this stuff going on when she's approaching it like he's about to shoot the school up. But when it shifts and that's the speech he got right before he was planning on taking on his uh, taking his own life. I'm not sure like what the what what happened in there to change Jonathan's mind other than the fact that when you're on the brink like that and I think that this is something that I've I've read it as well and like I I'm, I'm not suicidal. I've never been suicidal, but I've been close friends with with people who have been suicidal is that it takes so little to convince you not to do it but it's just so many people are scared to have that conversation and there's actually been a straight up like question that is often asked how do I address if I'm afraid somebody around me is suicidal and usually what is advised is you just ask them you just ask them point blank hey are you considering taking your life are you suicidal are you having these thoughts because even if you feel like you're not prepared to have that conversation, the fact that somebody cares enough to even ask could be enough to prevent them from actually doing it. So like, yeah, I could, I, I can definitely see a situation that even though Buffy, I think would have approached this very differently had she known what Jonathan was actually going through in this moment. And definitely it, it talks about like her checking up on him afterwards and continuing to, you know, make sure he's, make okay. Sure he's okay. This scene wasn't handled like a, a traditional uh, suicide scene, trying to prevent somebody from committing suicide, I think would have been handled because of the fake out that comes. But also, I think it shows that if there is somebody in your life that is going through that, even someone that you have minimal connection to, if you just show an ounce of care, of, of understanding and knowing that life sucks and it sucks for all of us, but part of it is just keeping going and having a human connection and understanding that you know, there are people around you that do care to the degree to at least stop you. And I think like the, the you know, Jonathan saying go away and Buffy very calmly replying never gonna happen. I think that alone could be enough to well, defuse, enough. yeah, to yeah. defuse Jonathan at that moment to be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing this today. And then it ends with the whole, you know, I could have taken that by now. And Jonathan acknowledges that he knows, um, and she's like, I'd rather do it this way. And then he willingly gives her the gun. So like, there's there's a moment somewhere for Jonathan where it clicks for him, even though Buffy's not approaching it as if she's talking to someone who's suicidal. She's approaching it as if she's talking to somebody who's willing to take others' lives, mm -hmm. which is completely different things. But the fact that she's just showing that she has empathy for what he's going through and understanding for just the world at large and how 
people struggle and shows the care that lives matter. Everybody in that school, his and everybody around, all of them need to be prolonged, need to, to, to exist that's the the takeaway that Jonathan has, I think, is that like, you know, if I feel like I'm down in the dumps and, and miserable enough to take my life, but then I also hear that like all of these people that I think have it way better than me also experience that, then like I could see that that twisting either way. And so I've seen people argue that this wouldn't have been a convincing argument to prevent Jonathan from taking his life, but I also see it as any form of compassion that you can get in those moments, anything to make you stop and think for a moment on what you're doing and mm-hmm. approach it from a, just a slightly different perspective can can prevent you from doing that. So like, yeah, I it's it's an odd it's an odd thing to discuss because it's a suicide scene that the audience doesn't realize is a suicide scene until the very Mm -hmm. end of the scene. Buffy doesn't realize what Jonathan is doing until the very end of the scene. And then we get a quick cutaway, and then it's, you know, wacky, goofy cafeteria worker. They try to do a little bit of comic relief after such a serious episode. Yeah, but it is like, it's a fake-out, but it's a fake-out that is still like an incredibly serious topic. Um, Yeah. And it's just... It's a hard scene to dissect. And I don't know if I did a very good job of it, but it's something that I wanted to address the fact that I think even in this situation, something to take away is that even if you don't really know what a person is feeling or what they're what they're going through, just showing that you care enough care. to have a conversation with them to acknowledge their existence and to acknowledge existence as a whole and all of this stuff that Buffy's doing in this moment can can change their lives. So like that's an interesting tidbit that even though Buffy didn't come into this with the right mindset with truly understanding what was going on with Jonathan, she still took enough time to acknowledge him as a person. And, you know, earlier in the in the episode, he was just like, she doesn't even know I exist. And when she grabs him, she's like, oh, he, she touched me. Like, he's he's so he's so in that point of almost becoming invisible, you know. <laughs> um, the invisible person. Yeah, the invisible. He's going to be the next, the next invisible. And uh, that's how he's feeling. And so, like, just taking the time to, like, acknowledge people around you can, can change lives, which is crazy. But it's just, it's it's true. And that's, I think, just the acknowledgement that Buffy bursts through in this moment where Jonathan's incredibly vulnerable and willing to do this to himself and says, no, I'm here. I'm here. I'm not leaving. And I'm going to talk about some stuff that may make not the perfect sense to you, but it might strike a chord to make you understand that people matter and you are included in people. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> do you have anything to say about this scene? Um, I think you got it covered pretty well. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> uh, hard scene to talk about. I will, I will probably, you know, sometimes I remember to do this and sometimes I don't, but I will probably put a trigger warning at the front end of this episode because, of course, um, there's lots yeah. of trigger warnings in this episode. And, you know, we didn't even really cover the topic of school shootings that much because, honestly, I, I, that, that's a whole nother, like, conversation that, while this while this episode touches on and the time in which it aired was of course around the Columbine and all of the delays that happened with this episode because of that, there's a lot in this episode that is very hard to talk about. Yes. And you know, a lot of people talk about there's a lot of conversations already around this the school sh- the shooting aspects of this episode because that was such a 
a, a, t a point in time that this happened and is, is still ongoing and is still needs to be talked about, needs to be brought to the forefront and needs to be discussed. But I also wanted to take time specifically on the twist of the scene and the fact that this is a suicide scene that doesn't really play like a suicide scene until a single line drop at the very end. And you don't really get the full impact until you watch it the second time. Yeah. Um, so we go from the end of that scene to the cafeteria scene where we are attempting uh, for some comic relief. We are really trying. We're really trying yeah. to lift this episode up a little bit. <laughs> after yeah. after the, the threat of school shootings and the attempted suicide and all of that, we're going we're gonna to prank out and f instead mass murder of students through poisoning of their food. That's how we lift up the episode. Yes. <laughs> Xander, who is heading for the Jello, it's back at that scene. He uh, looks to one side and sees the lunch lady. Just out in the open, not trying to hide it at all, <laughs> pouring powder from a giant box that says rat poison in huge letters into the mulligan stew. <laughs> like just the most cartoon, like, and this was premeditated. It wasn't yeah. like she, she was just like, oh, I really, I can't deal with these students anymore. And just went in and that was the only thing available to her in the cupboard. And she was just like, I, I, I'll just do it quickly. No one will see it. Like she she premeditated this enough that the day before the day she before was... she was thinking about it and Buffy heard and so like she didn't think about putting that in some other kind of container before pouring it into this doing anything it literally <laughs> says rat poison on the side <laughs> so yeah um, Xander just kind of has a moment where he's just like awkwardly staring with the jello almost to his mouth staring at her and she's just awkwardly holding this huge box up with like the eyes like dashing back and forth like oh oh no and then he flees out into the cafeteria and starts turning over tables shouting rat poison rat poison um <laughs> drop the spoon step away from the spoons <laughs> and uh the lunch lady comes out uh, ready to uh, attack Xander with a cleaver and Buffy comes in um, to save the day as the lunch lady uh, just shouts out vermin you're all vermin you come in here and you eat and you eat filth so you know how I talked Ooh. about the um, the guy who got the uh, the uh, aspect of the demon and how I'd like to know more about like what what his life was like after that mm -hmm. and everything like that like what what's happening here with this with this lunch lady like what brought her to this point <laughs> where is she at what aspect of the demon did she get maybe I don't know like something's happened this is this is harsh <laughs> <laughs> I know we talked about this going to lighten up the episode, but also, yeah, what happened she's, to her? yeah, she's clearly gone insane at some point and um, is is not only feeding the kids rat poison because she wants them dead, but also because she thinks that they are vermin. So, woof. And this is the same school that um, got the lady who's so enthusiastic about us all. <laughs> Like a well-educated English teacher who's oh, just yeah. killing it in class and talking about, like, how, how much she appreciates her students studying Othello, but, like, how much that she herself has put into Othello and the time that she's taken to research it. So you got that, like, top-tier level high school teacher, and then you've got uh, the crazy lunch lady 
that's feeding all the kids rat poison. This is the, the spectrum of staff and faculty that you will get at Sunnydale High School. Yes, apparently. Apparently. So Buffy dispatches of the lunch lady and uh, uh, yeah, and we cut to the next morning. Everything's fine. <laughs> This is another normal day at high school. (laughs) I mean, there was some stuff discussed about Jonathan and how, you know, he brought a gun to school and how he got suspended. But, like, nothing about the aftermath of the lunch lady trying to poison the student body and the fact that you know some of those kids probably ingested something. Like, I don't know. Maybe that was the first batch that she was making. But there was already several kids in there eating. Eating. And you would assume if it was premeditated that she would make sure that it was enough to get every student. Because she clearly, like... She wanted she wanted to take care of business Make a that difference. day. Yeah. She wanted she wanted to get rid of them. So like nothing about the fact that probably a, a good chunk of the students had ingested rat poison was discussed, but um we did discuss Jonathan, which is good because again, I like the fact that they show that Buffy took time to follow up with him even though um she's not Saint Buffy and is not going to accept his uh ask to the prom if he does because he's like 3 feet tall. It does acknowledge at least that she's been checking checking in on him and making sure that he's he's dealing with it, the uh, emotional state that he was in and all of that so mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that we at least have that level of closure even though there's a lot of other stuff in this episode that I felt like probably needed to be further addressed that just weren't um but in the true like let's end this episode with some comic relief cuz we got to do something to make it you know not just be the most miserable episode ever for the last 15 minutes Giles says that it seems that Buffy's recovered from her uh, psychic encounter and asks if she fills uh, up to training. And Buffy says, sure, we can do it after school. You know, if you're not too busy having sex with my mother and he walks into the tree. Yes, which is lovely. <laughs> which is lovely. And I believe is a, a like a spur of the moment decision that uh, Tony Head did, like suggested when they were filming, he was just like, what if I just like walk into the tree here when I hear this? Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Harsh episode. (laughs) Really fun. Really just great, like fun front end, having such a great time. And then you're just like, oh, wow, mass murder. Oh, no, wait, it's suicide. Oh, no, wait, it's it's actually also still mass murder. (laughs) Yeesh. Uh, so yeah, I like this episode. I feel like there's more that I want to say about this episode, but also I'm really done talking about the stuff that I want to talk about in this episode because it's all really depressing. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of the more serious episodes. Yeah, and I feel like while it it does a good job handling it in a one-off fashion, it would also have been interesting to see a storyline like this extended a little bit further. Like, have it be a two-parter or have something. Because there's a lot in this episode. There's a lot. There's the, not only just the the mind reading and the implications of what that truly means for invasion of privacy and stuff like that. But then there's also the, the school shooting aspect of it. There's the suicide aspect of it. There's the life sucks for everybody aspect of it. There's the realization of people around you experience the same crap that you're experiencing and like that we're all you know kind of in this crappy world together uh mentality and it's all like really it's all really down and depressing and and stuff like that but it 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 does do something in a way to make it i don't really even know like if i would call it uplifting but there's something about buffy's speech to jonathan that i do feel like is powerful and understanding your feelings 
I'm not really sure if it's meant to make you feel better about your feelings, but I think it's meant to make you understand your feelings more and understand the people around you more and understand that when people do things that you don't agree with, there's more going on with them than you can just see with your eyes or, you know, that they're they're presenting different than what they're feeling. And so, like, the lumping of, like, you know, the beautiful ones, the popular ones, the guys that pick on you, everyone is experiencing their pain. They're all so busy experiencing their pain. Um, that they don't think about anybody yeah. else's. Yeah. It's a sad truth about the human experience, right? Is that we're all, no matter no matter how much of an empath you are, no matter how much you take time to do for others, there's always a part of you that's very self-centered because you are the only one that is experiencing your life fully and you can't experience other people's lives fully um, without mm-hmm. literally being inside their heads. And obviously that doesn't work out <laughs> as no, we see from this episode. Um, so there's, there's a word for it. There's actually like a whole like, but like the realization of a part of growing up, the realization is that everybody around you is has a life that's just as full and rich and has as many experiences as your your life does the like every now and again you're just like huh i have like all of these internal thoughts and all of these perspectives about all the people around me and i think of everybody around me in a certain way but then also all the people around me have all their internal thoughts and they think about everybody around them in a certain way including me they have all the thoughts about me that I have about them and like just this like really complex um, web that exists amongst the human consciousness and just that understanding that we're all complex people. Everything that you experience as an individual, every individual experiences. And that's seems so obvious, but it's also incredibly mind blowing. <laughs> this has been a very long podcast. <laughs> At least it feels like it has. And it, it really, like, didn't go as long as I was fearful that it could have. <laughs> like I said, I didn't take notes on this. I just knew I had a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> lots of things to say. Lots of things to say. And lots of things left untouched. And I, I mean, this episode is one to unpack and approach from a lot of different ways. And it is it is truly a standalone episode of Buffy. Like, you know, we get standalone episodes of Buffy that are are fun and wacky. And then we get usually the more serious toned episodes are dealing with the season arc, right? Or Mm -hmm. some deeper philosophy about the show itself or something like this. But this is like a standalone serious episode of Buffy, which is a rarer breed. And it deals with a lot of complex issues all in one episode. And that's bold. That is bold to uh, try to pull off. Well, they do kind of pull it off. Yeah, they do kind of pull it off. I would love more, but I would always love more. Like, there's never a time, like, I mean, I wouldn't like more of Go Fish. But most of the time, when I finish an episode of Buffy, I'm just like, man, it would have been really great to have a scene that did this or had this aspect of the story explained or something like that. But this one especially, like, could have been like a three or four episode arc. And I would have been like, oh, man. But they could have also done this. And they could have had this discussion. (laughs) (laughs) So they did a lot in one episode. And they they did it well. 
I'll give them that. I wish there was more of it, but what they did with the time they had is is pretty impressive storytelling. I'll, uh, I, I cannot deny that. And yeah, we're in the final stretch. Season yes. three is almost over. It'd be really upsetting after spending so much time in this fun uh, high school-centric episode if something bad were to happen to the high school. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man. So Choices is next in our list. And then prom and graduation day. Man, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. Are we going to do graduation day as one or as two? I'm thinking two is probably I gonna think be it has to be two. Okay. <laughs> I think, I think if I remember correctly, uh, like part one may be, may be longer than part two in our discussion. <laughs> yeah. Part one's, part one's woof. Um... <laughs> Okay, so yeah, Choices is next, and we are rapidly approaching the end of season three, and that's when we're going to also add an angel to this craziness that we're doing. Love that guy. He's so great. He has such great one-liners, like, I'm a funny guy. Um... (laughs) I apparently don't know how to end this podcast, so I'm just going to end it. We thank you all so much for listening, and this is where we say bye. Bye. 